Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to have you guys. God bless you. I got a good morning from Joe Bird and about one or two of the other of you. I'm glad you're here. I'm John Adams, um, lead pastor, one of the pastors at The Vine, and great to be together as we continue our series, and we're looking, becoming confident in Christ, and we're going through the book of Philippians together. Um, And um, I'm not sure if you heard the story or saw the movie, End of the Spear, about the movie about Jim Elliott. Uh, He was a missionary in... um, in South America and was killed by the Aka Indians. And his wife uh, was just a young bride with a little child at the time. Can you imagine that? You know, your uh, husband being killed with just, you're a new widow, you're a young lady, and you have a baby. And uh, Elizabeth was a woman who really turned to the Lord and found extraordinary peace in the midst of incredible hard circumstances. And she, she taught many conferences, especially to ladies. And at one conference she was teaching, she, she, um, she was speaking about the idea of when, when Jim died, her husband, she had two choices in her relationship with God. She said, even though I was hurting and didn't understand and now I was a young widow with a little child, I could either say yes or no to the will of God. And I said, yes. To his will. As hard as your circumstances may be, she said, Elizabeth went on to say, as you say yes to God, even in the midst of hard circumstances, it is like a shortcut to peace. A shortcut to peace. Don't we all need that? Don't we all need a place where we can can go to peace and find a peace in the midst of life hard circumstances that we face. So today we're going to see from our passage from God's beautiful Word, we're going to see two huge battles that we fight, and we want to fight both that are fought in the churches in general as a whole, and then are fought in our hearts as well to grab hold of peace. So let's read God's Word, and in honor of His Word, And to glorify God, to say, you are God. Let's stand together and in that respect to him and his word. Let me read God's word together with you. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, and I long for my joy and my crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask You also, true companion, help these women and who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests 
be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks be to God's and His gracious, wonderful Word. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. So in verse number one, we see here Paul uses this transition word, therefore. And if you've been at the vine for a while, when we ask, what is the therefore? Therefore. We always ask that question. What is the therefore? Therefore. So last week we saw that uh, we saw that Paul said that we are to press on to finish this life looking to heaven and our future home. And we talked about how um, it's so easy to fall into just earthly mindedness and how God wants us to really have a heavenly mindedness, a different understanding as citizens of heaven. Paul and the Philippians, though, were joined together as part of the family of God, and it was a really beautiful relationship they had. They had a close one. Look at the tender names he, he calls them in verse number one. My brothers, my joy and crown, my beloved. But he also encourages them that in their life they had to be toughened. And, and in verse one, he also uses this phrase, stand fast, which is a word in Greek that, that literally means a soldier standing fast in the shock of battle with the enemy surging upon them. So in verses uh, number uh, 1 through 7 today of chapter 4, we're going to see that we all face two battles to keep our confidence in Christ. And the first battle is the battle for unity in his church in verses 2 through 3. And the second battle is the battle for peace in our hearts, verses 4 through 7. First of all, the, the battle for unity in this church. Paul says that there were two servant ladies who were working among him and who, who actually, we see in verse 3, were labored side by side with Paul. So they were incredibly hearts for God, given as a servant-mindedness. And, and, and we know that they were Christ followers. At the end of verse 3, it says their names were in the book of life. And, and, and so their names were written because of Jesus and his work. Their names were written in the book of life as being daughters of the, the God of the universe because of Christ's glorious work. And so um, here, as we see this, the New International Version, verse 2, um, wrote, writes it this way. Paul says, I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Twice here, the, notice here that Paul uses the word plead or entreat. And why? It's while he's in prison, he's emphasizing the importance of unity in the family of God. Isn't that crazy? I mean, if you're in prison, would you be writing someone and saying, hey, you guys got to say in unity, deal with your conflicts. I want to encourage you in that. And... Um, and, and, and Paul was this amazing man who continued to point others to Jesus, even in the midst of his hardship. But notice that these two amazing ladies who were incredibly servant-oriented, they were Christians, they'd been in the church apparently for a while. They had worked together with the Apostle Paul, 
nonetheless. And yet they were still in a dis- dispute of some kind. We don't know exactly what it was. What were they in conflict over? We know they were in conflict that was unresolved. And you see, Paul is saying, was he, the Philippian church, he didn't call them out often, but here he does. He says, look, you've got to deal with this. You've got to seek unity in the church. You have to do your part to forgive that person and to own what you need to own in your own personal life. This is so vital the con- because the conflict of the there in Philippi was threatening literally the unity of the church. You see, un- unresolved conflict can not only tear up a church, it will tear up a marriage, a lifelong relationship, maybe a family, a friendship, a business. It will tear up almost anything. And the whole of the Bible and Paul, as he teaches in his 13 letters, continually reminds us that unresolved conflict is a threat to God's kingdom advancing. You want to put a stop to God's work and the advancement of it, stay in conflict. The good news is Jesus is praying for our unity right now. Isn't that good? He is in heaven seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he's crying out for the vine's continued unity. It's not like we have any big unity issues. In fact, we've had incredible unity over the, these years. But we need to continue to pray. Is there any conflict among our people? Resolve it. Seek forgiveness from one another. Own what you need to own. And in your families and in your work and wherever that is, that you would seek to battle for unity in his church. And so um, we see this is so important. And um, so the battle for unity in his church is the first battle to keep our confidence in Christ. But the second one is this, the battle for peace in our hearts, verses 4 through 7. In verses 4 through 7, Paul writes that we need to constantly recenter our worship on Jesus as king. And this is vital to two things, to resolve conflict among us, and also, secondly, to get peace into our hearts. Paul writes, listen, isn't it interesting what he says, the antidote to, to disunity or conflict, the antidote to actually worry is worship. Look at, look at verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, it almost seems like an overstatement, right? Rejoice in the Lord always? Paul, you want me to do that? Yes, that is Paul is calling us, those of us who know Jesus, to 24-7 in heart, mind, and soul to say, Jesus, you are king over every area of my life. In my thinking, in my actions, in my belief system, in my desires, all of my life, I want to put under your mastery and say, I want to worship you with all I have and all that I am. And so Paul goes on, or he, he, he teaches us that uh, actually 14 times in this letter of Philippians that, that he says, be filled with my joy. So this is possible for you to continually be filled with God's joy, even in hard circumstances. Verses 5 and 6, he writes, let your reasonableness 
Be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition or supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 5 is translated by one commentator, William Hendrickson. Let your big-heartedness be known to everybody. Don't you like that? I like that because this section Paul is teaching us that life's battle is really in our heart for who and what will take mastery. Who's supreme? And look at the next phrase. It's so amazing. We could spend a lot of time on this. But look at it. It says, the Lord is at hand. Another translation says he's near. You know, last week we talked about being heavenly minded. But we're not heavenly minded without a God who is with us. You see, if we know Christ Jesus is our Lord, do you know this? The Holy Spirit is with you at all times. The question is, is will we recognize it? Will we welcome his presence? Will we welcome his control, his power? His work in our lives. The Lord is at hand. He's near. He's close. He's always with you in every circumstance that you're facing. He's with you right now, even if you don't feel that way. God is with you if you know Jesus as your God and Savior. In verse 6, he goes on, Do not be anxious about anything. The word anxious means literally to have a divided mind. And last week we saw that Paul wrote in Philippians 3.13 that one thing I do. You see, he had, Paul was in prison. He had many opportunities to worry. Did he not, church? Hmm? Did he not? Yes. But instead, he constantly said, one thing I'm going to do is constantly refocus my thoughts, my attention on Jesus. Fixing my eyes, as the Hebrew says, the, on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of my faith. Teach me, Lord. Teach us how to do that. You see, anxiety or worry is not just a temperamental issue like, hey, I worry a lot. It's my, you know, I'm predisposed to worry in my life or my personality. Okay? No, it's not just that. And worry, see, it, the heart of it is a spiritual issue. It's tied to what or who you are ultimately worshiping. Now, you know, you have emotions and you have, yes, we all face fears. We do face anxieties. We all face this. But how you deal with them is an indication of whether we will turn to God and trust him or not. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York for many years, wrote this about this verse. He said, anxiety becomes neurotically intensified to the degree that I have idolized finite values or earthly values from last week. Suppose my God is sex or my physical health or political party. If I experience any of these under genuine threat, then I feel myself shaken to the depths. You see, when you worry, you're actually stealing worship from God. Why? Because your thoughts, what, what you think you really had to have other than God, are being threatened. 
And your trust is no longer centered in God at that moment. You know, and this is a hard thing. I personally, this week, I've been thinking about, I've had some thoughts about a, a family member, and it's been hard because I'm like, I said some hard things to her in an email, and I'm like, did I say the right thing? Was I selfish about it? Did I speak complete truth? And I've had a lot of anxiety about this, and I realized in early prayer I needed to repent of my worries. Yes, I need to own, I need to reply rightly to this family member, but God help me to trust you in the midst of thinking maybe, maybe she's not going to approve of me anymore, or she won't like me, or she'll just like, you know, just sort of snub me relationally. You see, whatever your worries are, we need to recognize these and, and be willing to re reject, repent them, and trust our wonderful God who wants to rescue us. Paul goes on in verse 6, he says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In verse 6, he uses four words for worship. Isn't that cool? Prayer. Supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. Just a couple observations as we think about comma and, and teaching the word of God to you. Comma is an acronym we use around here. It stands for context, observation, meaning, motive, and application. If you need help with that, comma, application in your personal life, let us know. We'd love to help you. But one, one observation is this, is the word supplication means literally communicating to God, your neediness. <laughs> why do we need to? <laughs> why do we need to express our need to God or for God? You see, we need to commit, continually admit our need for a Savior, because our hearts and minds so often wander to wanting to fix our lives ourselves, or just completely shut down. And we constantly need to acknowledge God. You alone are the holy God who loves me. You have sent your Holy Spirit to make Jesus' work real and transformative. I need you. I'm in worry. I have these concerns. God, I express my need before you. Say it out loud. Say it when it comes upon you, when you're struggling with, whether it's you're even feeling... You know you have a big worry or you're just even feeling a little restless. It's good to pause and say, God, I think this is a good indicator light. I need you. Please rescue me. So we need to acknowledge our constant need for a Savior and also grow in thanksgiving that we have a Savior. Isn't that good that we have a Savior? We have someone to rescue us. For every person that knows Christ. And the word thanksgiving is literally the Greek word Eucharist. Have you heard of it? The word Eucharist. Some traditions say Eucharist is, is our equivalent of Lord's Supper or communion that we do weekly here at the Vine. This gives a new meaning to the Lord's Supper as we celebrate 
And we want to learn constantly to thank God or rejoice in Him always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Even in our sacrament, this is the sacrament of thanksgiving. Isn't that good? And so it constantly will remind us weekly that in our lives and at all times, God, help us to rejoice in you and give thanks constantly to you. You see, uh, verse 7, I love it. Paul concludes this section and he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, it's God's job to fill us with peace in our hearts. It's our job to trust him. Peace or rest for your soul is a promise from God. It's not obtained by your quality planning, your hard work, or your great insights. Peace is a gift that you receive. The question today for me and you, are you ready to receive it? Are you going to be independent from God in your thoughts, in your mind, in your heart? One scripture that I love that talks about peace in the Old Testament is Isaiah 26.3. There the prophet writes, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. You know, your mind is steadfast not because you're disciplined, it's because you trust in God. You acknowledge your neediness. I need you every hour. There's a hymn like that, right? Oh, most gracious Lord, I need you every hour. Not every hour, every minute, every second. And probably every millisecond. In Galatians 5.22, Paul also teaches that peace is like a byproduct or a fruit from his Holy Spirit and trusting God. The fruit of the Spirit, he says, are you may know them well. Love, joy, peace. And then he goes on and shares other qualities. The Holy Spirit, the fruit or byproduct he gives to our hearts. You see, worry is a lack of worship. It's the opposite of worship. But when we trust God, we receive from the Holy Spirit His gift of peace in our hearts, in our minds. (laughs) Don't we need this peace, church? This peace that It says it transcends understanding. You might be a logical person. You might have a good mind, but you can't comprehend this. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's what God gives us when it could make no earthly sense that we could be at peace. Think about Paul. He's in prison, and yet he seems at complete rest in his faith and trust in God. You can be that way too. You can grow in your trust and your peace as you, as you cry out to him and trust and constant reliance on the Lord. You see, we need this. We need this peace, don't we? That surpasses understanding. We're facing so much in our culture. I can't believe what, what's going through these days. I can't imagine what our, why our kids are going to have to face this stuff and are facing this stuff and why you guys are going through so much. As a pastor, it hurts our hearts. The pastors, Tim and Mark and our elders, it hurts our hearts that you are having to carry such a load in the midst of such hard, uncertain days. 
I mean, just things just like COVID or gender identity issues or race issues or school shootings, just to name a few. And then you have to deal with all the daily issues of your life, getting up and getting ready for work or school tomorrow. Getting on Georgia 400 and fighting the traffic. Thinking about your money. and Are you going to have enough now or in the future? Thinking about that person who you're churning because you're in a conflict with them. There's so many reasons we could worry. If this, is, if, if this passage is true and Paul is teaching us the truth that we simply need to trust him, why don't we easily live our lives trusting or resting in his peace? And I love this. There's this old guy named John Flavel. He was a, born in the 1600s and worked in the 1600s. He was an English Puritan Presbyterian pastor. And he framed the answer to this question, why don't we easily live our lives resting in his peace, with a question. And here's his question. I thought it was profound. He said, why should you be such an enemy to your own peace? Why should you be such an enemy to your own peace? Yeah, it's true. We have a great enemy, Satan, and he wants to attack you at this very level. But look, Why are we such enemies to our own peace? Due to the fall and sin, we all struggle with hectic, internal scurrying that goes on inside of our heads. Our internal insecurities can be triggered by daily problems that we're trying to solve or the imperfections that we see in others and we may judge. Our sin failures and fallenness can cause us to want to try harder or just give up, as I said earlier. And in these moments, we are acting like an enemy, an enemy of our own peace. And so, you can can know that you're going to heaven. You could be a Christ follower. And you can be living in a lack of peace. Think about these two women, Yodia and Syntyche. They were not living in peace in these moments. You know what they were consumed about? Each other and their conflict. And so even you can be a quality person, a Christ follower, a servant in the church, and still stuck in a restless spirit and a lack of peace. And so, we remember here that, that here Paul promises that as we begin to transfer and stop thinking in such an earthly way, earthly mindedness, and begin to say, God, give me more of a heavenly focus. We will more and more as we praise Him and thank Him and honor Him as sovereign and Lord over every corner of our lives, we can live more and more in a perpetual growing state of peace and not restlessness. God wants to rescue you right now. Take hope. If you're dealing with worry, if you're dealing with conflicts, He wants to help you, but will you be helped? 
Or will you continue to be an enemy of your own peace? You see, he says, this peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Paul was in prison at this time. Do you remember for two and a half years he was in Rome in a prison and he was literally cuffed, handcuffed to a Roman guard 24-7. Did he know what a guard was? He knew what he smelled like, looked like, acted like. He was with these guards constantly. And the church at Philippi were surrounded with walls and there were guards, Roman sentinels or guards that would guard the city 24-7. They knew what guards were. We think about guards and we think about Buckingham Palace or something, you know. We don't often, or we think about our own security systems or guards, you know. But what he says here is, this is beautiful. He says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard, 24-7 protect you. Fight for you against all enemies, yourself and Satan, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a God. What a Lord. Here's what we, God's word urges us, what we need to do and respond to fight for peace in our hearts. Just a few things that we've already mentioned we're just circling back to. First of all, admit your worries. Will you acknowledge them? Tell them, God, I'm needy, I'm worrying, I'm in fear, I'm in conflict. Secondly, acknowledge your need for a Savior to rescue your wandering mind and heart. And then finally, ask God to regularly help you respond in worship. We talked about prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. Instead of worry. You see, this is a great church. And we thank God for the way he works and the unity, general unity we have. But we must constantly trust his word. We have this opportunity to battle for unity in our church and in our own hearts. And look, church, family, as we trust him in the midst of our hardest of circumstances, you know what he's going to do? As we say yes to God, I trust you in the midst of even my hard circumstances, he's going to give you and me a shortcut to peace. Only he can provide this peace that transcends all understanding. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your work. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Lord. We acknowledge our need for you, sovereign Lord. And we thank you, God, that you are the Lord of the heavens and the earth. And we praise you. Teach us to trust you and your will, whatever, whatever we're facing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.